go to verse or chapter number 13, Matthew chapter number 13. And um, one thing I want to mention to the church, I was shaking hands and Miss Cordia asked if the church would be able to help her get a winter coat. She uh, doesn't have anything for the real cold weather. And so I told her I'd mention it to the church and see if that's something we felt like we could help her with. If you are interested in helping with that, if you'll see me after the service, uh, we'll go out and get her a winter coat this week and take care of that, all right? So if you'd like to help with that. Matthew chapter number 13. <clears throat> Matthew 13. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And we'll read down uh, through uh, about verse number 9. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and he sowed some seeds uh, fell uh, when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell on the stone, upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up and they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into the good ground, into good ground and behold, uh, brought and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Father, we come to you this morning, and I pray once again that you'll bless the message, and Lord, speak to our hearts. And Lord, may we learn the truth of these passages that we look at today, and that it will be a help to our hearts and our lives, and it will draw us closer to you. And Father, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us that know that we're saved, that we've trusted you as our Savior. I pray that you'd help it to be the desires of our hearts to grow in the Christian life and that we would long to be drawn closer to you, that it would be something of a deep and burning desire of our hearts. And then, Lord, if there's someone in the room that does not know if if they were to die, that you would take them to heaven, give them a home in heaven for eternity, I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit to bring conviction. Lord, we want to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit this morning, and I pray that he would have his perfect work in our hearts and our lives. Father, that he would lead and direct. I pray that he would give wisdom. And Lord, we're asking that you would send your power to rest upon us both as we preach and as we listen, and that your word will do its effective work in our hearts and our minds. And Father, we will leave here becoming more of what we ought to be for you. That we would be more of a testimony and glorifying you more. That we're able to share the gospel in a more powerful and productive way. And so, Father, we ask that you would bless all that is said and done here today. Thank you for those that have been able to be here this morning and given their, their time to be here. And, Lord, as we've already mentioned in the service, we're thankful for those that have given their lives and have served in uh, military uh, places of service for us to have the liberty and the freedom that we enjoy, and we thank you for them this morning in their memory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus many times would speak to folks in parables, and a parable was just a story that was a common story. It was something that the folks that he was speaking to could relate to a little bit better. Uh, I've heard somebody say before that uh, when they listen to certain preachers, they say they put the jelly on the bottom shelf, you know. They make it where everybody can hear, they can understand. 
And Jesus, when he was uh, teaching, there were times that he spoke uh, very eloquently and very strong and forcefully uh, to somebody like maybe the scribes or the Pharisees, and he would quote the Old Testament law and Scripture to them. And then there were times that in speaking with the common man, he would give uh, parables, and the purpose of it was to illustrate and to uh, help them to vividly understand the truth that he was speaking of. And uh, because understand at this point, uh, a lot of folks in the world uh, had no idea of these concepts. When Jesus came on the scene, he took the world's philosophy and he turned it on end. Uh, the Bible teaches quite clearly that the world is at enmity with God. It's, it's directly opposed to him. And so the things that the world many times thinks about is, is pretty much just the exact opposite of what God uh, thinks about or holds to. And so when Jesus came on the earth, you got to understand that when he was going around teaching folks, uh, some of these people were like, wow, I've never heard anything like this before. That's, that's pretty amazing. That's, uh, that's something that they were in awe of. And so he gets to this portion uh, in, in the book of Matthew of trying to teach some things to the multitudes. And it's interesting for me that the Bible says that in verse number 2, that great multitudes were gathered unto him so that he went into a ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on, <coughs> on the shore. And how many of the masses were pressing in to hear him. And, and by the way, can I tell you this, that when God's message is going forth with God's power upon it, then you can rest assured that people will be attracted to it. People will listen to it. People will say, boy, I, I can't get enough of that. I, I want to hear more of that precious story. We live in a country where we've had great liberty and great freedom for our lifetime. And by the time I was two or three years old, I had already had two or three Bibles that were given to me, little New Testaments or, or sometimes a gift and award Bible. And I remember growing up in a, in a Christian home and going to Sunday school every week of my life and hearing the Bible stories and going and sitting in the preaching services. And we were those, one of those kind of families that were there every time the doors were open. And uh, I heard one uh, uh, fellow say one time that uh, his family was so dedicated to coming to church that if the janitor came in on a Thursday night to wash the windows, they filled their pew and watched him do it. And uh, that's the kind of family I grew up in. The danger of this sometimes, I mean, some of you can relate to a life like that. The danger sometimes in this is that we grow callous to what we have heard over and over and over again. But can I tell you this, that God's Word is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It ought to be the desire of our hearts. We were talking in Sunday school this morning uh, about the idea uh, that um, reading of the Bible is just an understood thing in Scripture. It, it, it implies that we're to read. It's the norm. It's what's expected of a Christian. What the Bible normally focuses on when it deals with the Word of God and its relationship to us is that we delight in it and that we meditate upon it. it. It assumes that we're going to read it. It assumes that that's just kind of the normal thing, that if we have trusted Christ as our Savior, that new nature that's inside of us all of a sudden begins to have a hunger and a thirst for the knowledge that God has. And, and we want to draw close to Him and we want to get to know Him and we want to love Him with all of our hearts. And here's Jesus, and he's speaking, and there's no doubt that he has uh, the power of God upon him because he was God. There's no doubt that he was speaking the right message because he was the Word, wasn't he? And he begins to speak the Word, and he begins to speak it with power, and the, the multitudes are attracted to it and are coming to hear this man speak something they've never heard before. 
Can I encourage you as a Christian that when we come to God's Word, we ought to come expectant that it's going to share something with us that we've never understood before. Or if it shows us the same thing we've read before, that it'll stir our hearts and mean something fresh and new to us again. We ought never lose our joy and our excitement of the Word of God. Amen? It ought to be fresh to us. It ought to be the thing that we love and that we cherish. I remember years ago, I was uh, in about first grade. My dad came and got me out of school. and I didn't know where we were going. We went down to a man's house and... There were a bunch of little puppies there, and he uh, was asking me which one I liked. And I'll never forget, he had me pick one out, and we took it home with us. Man, I was excited. I was about first grade, maybe uh, halfway through or so, and uh, this dog was part pit bull and part German shepherd, a mix. And uh, we called her Penny, and it was, it was, she was a sweet little dog, you know. It sounds like she might be ferocious, but uh, she was one of the most gentle dogs I remember using her for a pillow many times, laying in the living room reading a book, and she would just lay there patiently, and I'd lay there with my head on her. And uh, But I'll tell you what, when we first got that dog, it, she was a little hyperactive. You ever had puppies like that? They were moving around a lot. And and I'll never forget coming home from school, and man, I could not wait. I'd be sitting there looking out the window at school thinking, man, I wish I was home playing with my dog. And uh, I couldn't wait to get home because she would go and she would chase a ball, and the funny thing is she would do it over and over and over and over again and never get tired of it. Can you imagine that? I mean, you do that with your kids. They're bored after about 20 minutes of it. And, uh, boy, you get a dog out there, and, boy, he'll chase that, that ball, or she'll, she'll chase that ball over. I mean, for years she did that. And she would, she would jump up on me, and, and, and we'd roll around in the grass and wrestle. And uh, I mean, I could not wait to get home on that school bus. And there she'd be sitting at the end of the driveway waiting for me. She'd hear that bus coming. And I could not wait to get I delighted. And getting off that bus. As I got older in, in my Christian life, and I came across Psalm 1 that talks about the fact that we're to delight in the law of the Lord and in the law meditate day and night. I, I thought of that illustration. I thought, man, I wonder if I love reading the Bible and am ex- as excited and as, uh, have as much anticipation about getting the opportunity to read Scripture as I did getting ready to come home and play uh, ball with my dog. Because I'm going to tell you what, I loved it. I, I mean, I couldn't wait. I would be sitting there at the school just about to go crazy to get out of class and go play with my dog. I couldn't wait. And I wondered, as I grew up in the Christian life, do I love God's Word that much? Do I delight in it? Is it something that draws me and attracts me to it? And this message is not on how we ought to love Scripture, but we're going to look at some things about this parable. But I wanted to start off by giving this introduction because I believe it's so important. We were sitting there in men's Sunday school class, in the adult Sunday school class this morning upstairs, and dealing with this topic of reading Scripture and how important it is to us not to just obey it as a command with drudgery and with the fact that, well, I've been commanded, so I must do it but that we come to it with the delight in our hearts, a freshness about it. Wake up in the morning and be like, man, when can I get read my Bible? I can't wait. We're at work and we think, boy, I just, I, when can I get home? When can I get home? I, I want to read that time. I, I want to have that time with God's Word. Do we delight in it? The sad fact of the matter is a lot of us, we enjoy reading it, but we don't delight in it. A lot of us, we read it because we know we're supposed to. Maybe we've got a little reading schedule that we've 
made a commitment, a New Year's resolution, if you will, to read through this reading schedule in a certain amount of time. We were talking about how long it takes to read through Scripture. But we don't delight in it like we should, do we? These people had an opportunity. Can you imagine being in this multitude? Take, take a minute and kind of go back in your mind and put yourself in this place. Could you imagine being in that multitude? There he is. There he is. Look, look, look right over there. There he is. I get to see him. There, there's Christ, the one I've heard about so much. I can imagine the crowd standing up and they're, they're all looking and craning their necks and standing on their tiptoes trying to see him, getting pressing in closer and closer, trying to get close to him. Would you delight in that? Could you imagine getting to stand and physically see Jesus in his earthly ministry? Could you imagine what that must have been like? You say, Brother Greg, why is that important that we envision that? Because we get an opportunity to read his word anytime we want. We get to come to him as though he's standing right there and read his word anytime we want. Is it the delight of our hearts? Is it something we love? Is it something that we cherish? These people did. They were coming after Him, whether out of curiosity or out of love for Him and His Word, certainly because they had never heard anything like this before. They pressed upon Him. The Bible says He has to get into a ship and launch out while they stayed on the land. And He spoke to them. And He shares a parable with them. I want us to look at the parable this morning. And I want us to look at it as if it's the first time we've ever heard it. As if this is something that is just amazing. We get to hear our Savior Share something with us. And he spoke many things unto them, verse number 3, in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Then some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Now, it's interesting to me that in this particular case, and in quite a few cases of parables, Christ gives the actual meaning of the parable. So we don't have to sit and wonder this morning what do each of these things mean. And I want us to look at them very quickly, if you will. If you look over in verse number 19. Verse number 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received side a seed by the wayside. Now I want us to look at a couple of things here in this verse that give us an idea of what he's speaking about here. The first thing that I find in verse number 19 is he comes to the place where it says, if anyone hear, when anyone hear the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not. And that's, that's kind of key to this and understanding this first type of person that Jesus is speaking about here. The Bible says that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are what? Spiritually discerned. There are things that when we get saved, we begin to understand about Scripture. And so this is dealing here with a man who has not yet trusted Christ as his Savior. And you try to teach the Word. You try to teach Scripture to them. You try to share things with them. 
and they, the Bible says here they do not understand them. Now, why they cannot understand, there are several reasons for that. But the, the, suffice to say that this particular man could not understand. And the Bible says that when he did not understand, the wicked one. Now, who do you think the wicked one is here? Satan. All right, Satan. The wicked one, uh, cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside, and this is one where the seed was shared, but whether because they chose not to understand and were strong and belligerent about it, whether they were apathetic to it and did not understand, just didn't really care, didn't see their need, or whether out of the hardness of their heart they did not understand. Suffice to say, this is one that when the seed was sown, the, the knowledge of this was not understood. The Bible says that the wicked one came and snatched this seed away out of the heart where it had been sown. By the way, can I tell you this? Every time you sow the seeds of the Word of God, it goes to a man's heart. You say, Brother Greg, how do you know that? Because the Bible says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God affects... The heart. And here's a man who's heard the seed of the Word of God and does not understand it for whatever his reasoning is, and he does not receive with meekness the engrafted Word of God. He turns it away, and the wicked one comes and plucks it out of his heart. And this man would be an unsaved man. We find here as we get to verse number 20, uh, I'm sorry, verse number uh, 21, yet he, <coughs> back up verse 20, but he that hath received the seed into the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and notice this, and anon with joy receiveth it. So here's one that has a, a desire to know the word of God and has uh, certainly seen the value or the validity of it and begins to understand its meaning. <clears throat> In verse number 21, Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a little while. For when the tribulation or persecution ariseth, behold, the word, uh, 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 because of the word, by and by he is, notice the word here, offended. Now here's a man who the word of God comes to. It takes root in his heart. But the Bible says that this man doesn't have a whole lot of soil here. There's not a lot of depth to what he can, can tolerate. And even though that the word of God has taken root... It says that when the, 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 the tribulation comes, or the sun comes here, as it said in the parable, and bakes on it, that it withers away. It's offended. This is one who uh, gets saved in, at the beginning of his Christian life. He's excited about the things of God. And maybe he doesn't grow a whole lot in the Christian life, but he's excited. He knows that he's saved. He's on his way to heaven. And he's around God's people, and he's never met people like this before. Boy, they're kind to him. They, they are welcoming to him. And he's excited about being there. But something happens along the way that brings tribulation into his life. And by the way, can I tell you this? If you're here today and you're saved, the Bible teaches that it's not a matter of if tribulation will come, but it's a matter of when. It's going to come. And here's this Christian. He's excited about the things of God. And he's excited around the people of God. And, and I don't... It, it, chronologically, there's no time set here. It deals not with length of time, but with depth of root. 
Do you see that? It, it deals with how far he has taken that root and dug it into the ground and gotten anchored into something that's going to hold him steadfastly. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. And so here's this man, and when the, the, the tribulation comes, the Bible says, by and by, he is what? He is offended. Pastor, I'll never set foot inside that church ever again. Boy, you just don't know what that person did to me or said about me. Boy, you just... It might even be the pastor himself. Boy, brother, let me tell you, our pastor, he sure did this or that, and I, you won't believe. And they're offended. <coughs> Can I tell you, this tribulation is going to come. You might get to the workplace, and maybe it's not Christian folks that bother you. Maybe it's somebody at work. What, you gave up your life? You're going to follow Christ now? And start ridiculing you and giving you tribulation for the name of Christ. And by and by, you're offended by it. No depth of root, no soil. I want you to notice the third man here. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Now this one's one who's got some roots. He's in soil that things can grow in and grow pretty well. In fact, the Bible says there's a lot of weeds and a lot of thorns among the way. But this is a Christian who gets uh, saved and, and, and deepens his roots. But the enticement of the old nature, the enticement of the world is so great that they decide that they want to still be saved, but they want to live the way the world lives. We would call them a carnal Christian. And notice what the Bible says here, because it's very important that we understand this if we ever find ourselves in this position. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Number one, choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Doesn't mean he's not saved. He just doesn't bear any fruit. Why? Because he's too encumbered with the world. He's too busy living the way that he wants to live. And then we find the third person. And he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. I want to talk to you this morning out of this parable about the soils. Can we do that for a few moments? We're not looking here at the people. We want to look at the soils. The first one that we find is, we find in verse number 4, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside that the fowls came and devoured them up. The wayside was an area that was not tilled. The land had not been prepared. It had not been uh, plowed up. It had not been made fertile. It had just been trodden underfoot. It was unprepared soil. A soil that has never had any kind of cultivation to it in preparation for the seed. You say, Brother Greg, is that important? Yes, it is. Because when we share the seed of the Word of God, if the Holy Spirit does not prepare the heart before us, we begin to shed seed on hard ground. And I understand and I know that the Word of God is quick and powerful and it's able to do its work in spite 
of these things. But oh, how much more fruit could be made if his seed was sown because the soil was prepared. The soil was prepared. I wonder how many times when we have opportunity to share the gospel with somebody that we have spent time praying, Lord, prepare the soil. Go before and prepare the heart for the seed. How often when we get time to share the gospel with someone, which I hope is on a regular basis that we look for opportunities that God brings our way. How often do we spend time in prayer saying, Lord, prepare their heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit's power so that when I share the seed, their heart is affected by your word. And without it, we're throwing seed by the wayside. An unprepared heart, a heart that's had no inclination for the things of God, a heart that's had no preparation to receive the Word of God. This is a hardened, calloused, scorner of the Word of God. That soil has had no preparation. Then we find another person. This soil perhaps has been attempted to be tilled. It's amazing. Up here in Missouri, I've not lived up here for very long, but I've heard stories of folks who grew up on farms. And as children, one of the great responsibilities if they farmed the land was that the kids would go out into the fields. And it seemed like every year their responsibility was to pick up the rocks and the stones out of the field. And I see a lot of heads shaking yes to that. And it didn't matter how many you picked up this year, next year there were going to be more. And the next year there were going to be even more, and then more again. And the reason is, up here in Missouri, even though we have some good soil, we have a lot of rocky earth underneath it. And the farmers up here are wise enough to know that when you sow the seed on top of a rock that may have three or four inches of dirt, that you don't get a whole lot of growth on top of that. When I lived in Florida, uh, the church we were at down there had a drain field and a septic tank system out beside the church. And as a kid, I remembered seeing all the uh, grass out there in the yard was all green until it got to this one spot, and there was an area about eight foot long and about six feet wide, and it just had uh, uh, brown grass on top of it. it. There was some grass there, but it was very unhealthy. It did just a little bit of green in the very bottom, and it was mostly brown. And I didn't understand that as a kid, but as I got older, I began to realize that they'd buried the septic tank so high towards the top of where the ground was that there was only two or three inches of dirt, and if you could call it that, in Florida we have sand, uh, but they had this little bit of dirt on top of there, just enough for the grass to get there and to take root. And I'll never forget during the rainy season in the cooler part of the year that that grass would turn green. It wouldn't grow a whole lot still, but it would turn green. But come summertime, you get that Florida sun, and it would just bake on that grass, and that grass would turn as brittle and brown as you could imagine. It withered up. And can I tell you this, that there are those that receive the Word of God that, for whatever reason, have a, a reservation or a hardness of their heart, and while they've put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not willing to give Him the rest of their life. They're not willing to yield and to surrender. There's a hardness there. There's a, a cynicism, if you will. A lack of trusting Him with every area of their life. 
And we begin to see that when the trials and the tribulations come, they've not sunk their roots very deep because of the hardness of the heart. When the tribulations come, they shrivel up and they die. They get to the point, they don't die, but they wither, the Bible says here. They get to where there's no substance to them. They just kind of are there and, and brown little weeds sticking up there. Not much to them. The Bible says in Psalm 1 that a man that will delight himself in the law of the Lord and meditate therein day and night, it says he shall be as a tree planted by the rivers of water. This is not a tree that's got very small roots, but this is a tree that is put in a place where his roots can grow deep and the nourishment can come into the tree. I've said this before so often, but a tree has a priority of its nourishment. Uh, when, when you plant a tree and it starts to get some nourishment through its root system, the first thing it's going to use its nourishment for is simply to stay alive. If it's just getting just enough nourishment to stay alive, it's not going to grow. It's not going to bear fruit. It's just going to exist. It's just going to be there. If a tree has enough nourishment to stay alive and a little bit more, it secondly will use the nourishment to grow. And it does this because it's designed to bear fruit at some point. And it's got to have the strength in the trunk and in the branches to be able to bear the fruit. And so it takes the second portion of its nourishment, if it has enough to stay alive and a little bit more, to grow in the Christian life. And then if it's just getting enough nourishment to do that, we don't see it bearing fruit. We see it growing, but we don't see it bearing fruit. So it needs a little bit more nourishment. And then it has enough nourishment, if it has enough to stay alive and to grow, to eventually bear fruit. You say, Brother Greg, why is that important to us? Because the Bible says that this tree that's planted by the rivers of water is because there's a man that delights in the law of the Lord. And in this law meditates day and night. You say, Brother Greg, where does this tree get its nourishment from? Right here. Spending time with God. Walking with Him. So we could say it this way, because the antithesis of this is that the one who doesn't grow, the one who doesn't thrive, the one who, when tribulation comes, is offended, is one that does not put a high priority on their walk with God. They're very shallow. They know they're saved. They know they're on their way to heaven. But they don't ever grow. You don't see fruit. And this is a man who's in shallow soil, if you will. He's not sunk his roots deep. The soil perhaps has been tilled and prepared, but there's some rockiness there. There's some things that need to be dealt with in the heart. And then we have the soil here that, in the third case, is, as far as we know, soil that's good to grow in. The problem is there's a lot of other things in this soil. Thistles and thorns and weeds. The Bible says in verse 22, He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches are the two things that 
are residing in the soil along with this seed. The care of this world and the riches, the deceitfulness of riches. And this is a Christian that gets saved. The Word is is growing and thriving. But they begin to look like Lot did as he cast his eyes towards Sodom. The plains that were well watered. Have you heard the phrase before, the grass is greener on the other side? This is the kind of Christian that gets involved in the Christian life and is growing and is thriving. The pastor is, is preaching and every time the pastor preaches, even if it's a bad sermon, this, this Christian gets something out of it because it's God's Word. There's something amazing about God and, and they're excited about it. But the, the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world begin to creep into the life of this Christian. And it begins to choke down the plant. Notice what it says here. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he becometh, what? Unfruitful. This is different than the first one. The first one withered. There was no growth. This one, there was growth, but there was no fruit. Depending on the soil, one we see that does not grow spiritually, one we see that does not bear fruit spiritually. And then we have the third one. But he that receiveth seed in the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth. I want to take a moment on this soil. This soil has been cultivated. The soil's been turned, it's been plowed, and it's been loved on and cared for to make sure that no thorns, no weeds cropped up in it. I took my kids on a field trip here a while back, and we went through some farmland. It's amazing to me how many corn crops are planted and grown and not harvested. And when you look at those, you see brown, dried up corn. You see a lot of things growing up inside the corn where it's not even been cultivated. It's just been planted, not cared for. Can I encourage you in this as a church? When someone gets saved, can we as God's people help them to get grounded in God's Word? Encourage them in their walk with God? Can we secondly come along and help to cultivate that life? Encourage them along the way and go through their their spiritual uh, garden, if you will, and help them keep the weeds and the thorns down so that they can grow. Oh, what a joy that would be to be able to see someone come and get saved. And through all the tribulations, they come through because God's people have helped cultivate them. When the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches begin to entice them, they come through shining on the other side because God's people have helped to cultivate those thorns and those weeds out of their life. And now I want you to notice this third one is the one that hears it's been cultivated. No thorns or thistles in this one. This is good ground. 
And the Bible says that this is the man who understands, and the Bible says here that he bears fruit and bringeth forth. I want you to notice three things that are said here. This one can bring forth a hundredfold, or he can bring some sixty or some thirty. Can I tell you this? As long as the soil is good and the seed is good, it is not up to you or I how much fruit. That's up to God. All we can do as God's people is make sure the soil is right and the seed is right. If the soil and the seed are right, then God will give the increase. His increase is far better than anything you and I could ever come up with. So let me ask you the question this morning. We've seen four different soils here. We've seen one that was so hardened that the seed could not even penetrate. We've seen one that was prepared a little bit but was stony ground. And the seed took root, but it could not survive the tribulation. Uh, Let me ask you this question. Has there ever been a time where you've become offended over something that was not a doctrinal issue and you just gave up on God? Said, oh no, I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to do it anymore. I know that when there's a doctrinal issue, I know that what the Bible says about that, that we're, defend that, we're to defend that, we're to be careful of those things. But I'm talking about people who get their feelings hurt. I'm talking about people who just, just get offended by the smallest little thing, it seems like. And they leave and they say, I'm not going to ever, I'm not going to ever grow anymore. I haven't been in church in a long time. I, when I visit, it's amazing how often you meet people who says, I used to go to such and such, and they name a church. I used to teach a Sunday school class. I used to. I, I came across a fellow here a while back. He said, I used to be an assistant pastor in a Baptist church. I said, where do you go to church now? He said, I don't. What an amazing thing. A heart that doesn't have any root. They're offended. They shrivel. And then you have the heart that's overtaken with the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. I would like to say that young people are very susceptible to this, but the truth of the matter is we all are, aren't we? There's always that enticement. Or there's the heart that is cultivated, the heart that's prepared. I'm not always in this position. I'd like to say I am always that way, but I'll tell you this, it's a daily battle. Because those of you that have ever planted a garden or a flower area, you know this. You can pull a weed today and come back tomorrow and what's there? Another weed. And I'd like to say that my heart is like this third man all the time, but the truth of the matter is it's a constant battle, isn't it? There are times that we have to come back to our hearts and say, Lord, I've got some thorns growing up. I've got some thistles. There might be a stone over here even. I need to get it out. I need to get it out. What kind of soil do you have tonight, today? What what soil is your heart? And then I wonder, what soil are we creating in others? Are we praying as we go and share the seed that that soil will be prepared?
<coughs> I wonder often if one reason we do not bear very much fruit is because we don't ever spend any time preparing the soil. <coughs> we don't ever spend time with the Lord asking Him to go before us for His Holy Spirit to enable us and to empower us. I was reminded as I was preparing for the message and will be done. Years ago, I coached a basketball team. And uh, for whatever reason, that year, our team was a very, very talented team. Uh, was undefeated for the season. and um, But for whatever reason, every game that season, we were behind going into the fourth quarter. Every game. Didn't understand it, but every game it was that way. Some games down to the last minute, and we were behind. And sometimes by a pretty good margin. And for whatever reason, every game we taught the guys, listen, you play till the, the last buzzer sounds, you never give up. You get out there and you play, and we were able to pull out wins in all those games. I think it was the, either the last game of the season, or it might have been one game before that, but it was towards the end of the season. We were playing a team, and... Uh, we had gotten the lead in the last three minutes of the ball game. Not by much. I think we were only up by two baskets, I believe, if I remember right, something like that. It was a very small something that you know that the other team could easily make up in three minutes. <coughs> the best player on their team uh, was a man, I'm not going to give the whole name in the message, but his first name was Danny. And um, I was still can. To this day, picture him, he would dribble down the court and launch a three-point shot trying to get caught up quickly. He was a very good shooter, and I put our guys on him and tried to keep him from shooting. And uh, I remember being up by four or five points with about three minutes or so left in the game, and he came down the court, and he launched a three-point shot, and when it bounced off of the rim... He walked over and sat down on his bench in the middle of the game. Didn't call a timeout, just went over and sat down on the bench. And their team finished the game with four players. We were thinking about the parable this morning and and the idea that there are some who get offended easily and just say, I'm done. I know we've all been there at times where we've made that decision whether we're going to stay true to God or we're going to walk away. Can I tell you this? We need to continue to keep that ground tilled and weeded and plowed up and say, Lord, I want my heart to be soft. I don't want to have a hard heart. I don't want to have a heart that's rocky that's bitter at God or angry at God. I don't want to have a heart that is corrupted, if you will, by the thorns and the thistles of worldliness, the appetites of the world, the desire for riches. I want to have a heart that when God's Word comes into it, that tree begins to grow and get stronger and produce fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. What kind of soil do we have this morning? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for your word. 
Lord, our message has been mostly for Christians this morning, but if there's someone in the room that does not know if they died right now that they'd go to heaven, Lord, I pray that you'd help them to know that you loved them an awful lot. You loved them enough to send your only son to die on a cross in place of them. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the preaching this morning, that it will be an encouragement to someone's heart. The truth is it's a battle every day to keep the ground fertile, to keep it soft, to keep it unencumbered by the world and to keep all the, the cares of this world, the desires for wealth. Lord, that we would keep all of those things from hindering our walk with you our growth in the Christian life. Father, sometimes even a stony heart, a heart that in one area or another gets a bitterness, just a little seed, a little root of bitterness that begins to work its way. A little bit of hardness, a little bit of anger, a little bit of being offended. Lord, I pray that you'd help to root that out of us. That we would have hearts that are soft, pliable, ready to receive the good seed of your word. And then, Father, as we go out and shed the seed and spread the seed everywhere we go, I pray that you would help us to be praying as your people, that you would go before us and prepare the soil of the heart, that it would fall on good, good, seed, good ground and be able to take root. Father, that we would be able to help cultivate, be able to nurture that seed along the way that we would see fruit, Father, bless the message this morning and speak to hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed.